in Genesis chapter 35. We're going to be wrapping up the life of Jacob today in our study. Been a good study this summer and fall, but we have pressing matters in the next three weeks. I'm going to be talking about the challenges facing our nation. Uh, of course, with the election coming up, so you definitely want to be here the next three weeks leading up to that as I talk about those current events and what the Bible would have us to do. But in Genesis 35 today, we're looking at a message entitled, Back to Bethel. The late Joe Bailey was a gifted preacher and authored several classic books. And in one of them, he told a story how one of his sons went through a painful stage of rebellion and sin. And many of you parents have been through that with your own. But Joe Bailey's son grew his hair long. He started running with the wrong crowd. And he eventually became a drug addict. And he was living on the streets or living in a communal drug house wherever he could find shelter. Well, late one night, Joe Bailey said that he received a call informing him that his son was in one of the police stations downtown. And so he got out of bed, got dressed, went down to the station. And when he got there, there was no record of his son being in jail. So he thought maybe he went to the wrong jailhouse. And so he went across the city to other places before he realized that it was all really a cruel prank that had been played upon him by one of his son's druggy friends. Before he went home, he said he was going to try one last place. So he said he went to the drug house where he thought that his son was sleeping. And as Joe went in, he opened the door, he said he noticed there were bodies strewn across the floor and he stepped across them and there in one of the corners was his son sleeping on a dirty mat. Drug paraphernalia surrounded him. Joe just wanted to make sure that his son was alive and so didn't disturb him, but he just bent over, kissed his son on the forehead and uttered a short prayer. Well, the story would go that eventually... Joe's son would kick his drug habit. He would get clean. He would repent of his sin. And in fact, Joe's son became a pastor, believe it or not. And years later, the young man told the story of his father. He said, Dad, do you know what turned me around? He explained. He said, Dad, it was that night when you came into that drug house and you kissed me and you thought I was asleep. But really, I was awake, Dad, the whole time. And I realized if my daddy loved me that much... I had better go back home and get my life right with God. Now you know that years ago there was a famous author here from Asheville named Thomas Wolfe and he wrote a novel entitled, You Can't Go Home Again. Well today I'm here to tell you that thank God that's not true. Because the Bible tells us that we have a heavenly Father. He's full of mercy and grace. And He always leaves the front porch light on, as it were, for prodigal sons and daughters to come back home. And that's the good news of the gospel, isn't it? That's, that's why we preach uh, what we do and why we serve the Lord Jesus Christ because we have a second chance God. And there's no better example of that than the patriarch Jacob that we have been studying. A man's journey that we have learned has been filled with sin and stumbling and setbacks. And we come now to Genesis 35, which is another critical turning point in the life of this man. And finally, we see that after much delay 
and much disobedience, Jacob goes back to the place where it all began for him, a place called Bethel. Now you'll remember that Bethel was the place where Jacob's walk with God began. It was there that he got that glorious vision, that dream, if you will, of the ladder coming down from heaven with angels ascending and descending upon it. And so for Jacob, going back to Bethel was like going home for him. The place of his spiritual roots, the place of his second birth. Now in many ways, you're going to notice that this chapter is full of highs and full of lows. And it's a great reminder to us today that no matter what episode or what part of the journey of life you're in, it comes with its own challenges, but God is faithful no matter what season of life that we are in. And you can go back home, and you can get a fresh anointing, and God can renew you today. Now in Jacob's sunset years, we're going to notice today four new things come into his life. And for you and I, as we apply this text, what I want us to see is the steps of how to get out of a spiritual slump. So if you find yourself today in a spiritual slump, I pray that this will help you. But the first thing that we see come into Jacob's life is in verse 1, and it's a new start. A new start. Now, let me back up just a minute here. You'll remember that when Jacob first met God at Bethel, that he vowed to return to this sacred place and worship. He said that in Genesis 28, verses 18 through 22. And the problem is that Jacob had drug his feet. Jacob got busy raising a family. Uh, he got enamored with building wealth and getting rich. At the end of chapter 33, we see that Jacob is on his way home, but he stops 30 miles short of Bethel at a place called Shechem. And instead of moving to Bethel, he is attracted by the riches of this city in Shechem, and he decides to settle there. And scholars think that about 10 years transpired between the end of chapter 33 and the beginning of chapter 35. And it is in that decade space where Jacob's family and his life goes through a disastrous period. We didn't study chapter 34. You, what you would notice if you read that chapter is, as a result of not being in God's will, things went totally sideways in chapter 34 for Jacob. His daughter, his only daughter Dinah, is raped in Shechem. And in an act of revenge, Jacob's sons go out and murder the men of that city. And Genesis 34 is a sordid chapter of failure and bloodshed. And so it's on the heels of this great delay of disobedience that we come now to this pivotal moment, verse 1, chapter 35, where Jacob gets his calling. Notice what verse 1 says. And God said to Jacob, Arise, and go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Oh, thank God for the precious Holy Spirit who calls us out of the pit of sin and failure and asks us to return back to the Lord. Uh, he did it with Abraham after Abraham took a disastrous detour down into Egypt. The Spirit of God said, come back home to Canaan land. 
of the Spirit of God spoke to the whale that was carrying Jonah in his belly after he went the opposite way that God called him to go. He spit Jonah out on dry ground. He was nothing but a bone and gristle anyway. And God gave him a second chance to go to Nineveh and preach. And then we all remember the prodigal son. Oh, he had spent a night in the pig pen. And he woke up and the Bible says he came to his senses. He remembered the goodness of the father's house and the smile that was on his daddy's face. And he hadn't forgot the way back home. I'm glad today for a God who calls us not once, not twice, after we've failed and after we've uh, landed on our face. He calls us back home again and says, I'm still here for you when you're coming back home to meet me. You see, God is always calling us back to that place where we got off track. That place where we left His will. That place where we stopped obeying and stopped reading the Bible and stopped going to the house of God and stopped praying. God calls us back to that place and says, I want to give you another chance. Let's do it this time my way. Oh, friend, you'll notice something about it. God's voice will speak clearly to you in that moment of personal failure. When all the dust has settled in life and you find yourself in that uncomfortable place, God's voice will come like an arrow through the night. Come home. Come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling for sinners to come home. I love the story that Max Licato tells in one of his books about a distraught dad and a daughter. He tried to raise his daughter right, he said, and uh, this girl had a mind of her own, and she decided that going to church was boring, and uh, living under mom and dad's roof wasn't what she wanted to do anymore, so she uh, ran away from home and started living wild and free with her friends. His dad didn't know what else to do. And so he went downtown to the places where uh, people had said they had seen her. He went into bars, he went into nightclubs, he went into pool halls, and even into the homeless shelter, and he took with him a picture of himself. And he put a picture of himself on the front door or on the mirror of the bathroom, wherever he could go. And the story, he said, goes like this, that one evening his daughter went into that dirty dive, that nasty bar room where she had no place being. Went in there and on the mirror was taped a picture of Dad. She said she saw that picture of her daddy taped on that nasty bathroom window and tears started streaming down her face. She pulled the picture off, turned it over, and on the backside, here's what it said. Whatever you've done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Come home. I love you, Daddy. <laughs> oh, friend, that's the heart of the Heavenly Father who called Jacob back to the place where it all began. Back to Bethel. You can go back to Him today, friend. And that's the first step of getting out of a spiritual slump. Write this down. is to return to God. Friend, oftentimes the way forward is the way backward. You've got to go back to your spiritual roots. And obedience begins by doing what we neglected to do. And so we see Jacob's calling. And then notice verse 2 through 4, his cleansing. And so Jacob said to his household, verse 2, and to all who were with him, put away the foreign idols and gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. 
Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to God who answers me in the day of my distress and been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid there under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. Oh, the next step in Jacob's journey back home, the Bible says, was to gather up all the trinkets, all the false gods, all the idols that they had collected along that decade of disobedience. Rachel had taken some household idols from Laban. He said, give me those things. They had no business here in our house. All of the trinkets and things that Jacob's sons had plundered when they raided the city of Shechem. He said, give it to me. It's time to bury those things. And you notice by doing this, Jacob is putting to death the old way. Putting to death the sin and the thing which had been a snare to them. In fact, if you notice, this is the first of many funerals in this chapter. And then he says, change your clothes. We also read about that in verse 2. Put on new garments. A sign of a new beginning. And that what happened when we come to Christ, when we repent. We take off the old garments that are stained with sin. We're washed in the blood and we put on the robes of righteousness. And so it's a new beginning with that cleansing. And you have to ask yourself as you read this, what about me? Are there some things in your life, friend, that need to be gathered up? Things that have accumulated over time that you've tolerated and you've made excuses for? A, oh, I can quit this any day. I've got a handle on this. But really, it's eating your lunch. And it's become a God to you. It's become an idol. And what you need to do is have a come to Jesus meeting and toss those things out and bury them and leave them dead in the past and don't go to them again. You see... You can't enjoy a new walk with God if you're still clinging to old sin. Jacob purged his house because, notice this friend, repentance doesn't mean much if you leave a way back to your old sin. That's why he buried it. And they left that place. Too many of us leave an open door. We may repent half-heartedly. We may say, God, I'm sorry. But really, it's, it doesn't mean anything if we leave a path back to where we can run to our sin once again. I'll tell you a funny story that happened in my house. <laughs> a while back, my dear wife, she made this pronouncement. She said, when you start eating better, no more junk food, we're going we're to go healthy, right? We need to limit our junk food and our candy. Now, the only problem with that is, of course, I'm a pastor in a Baptist church. It's pretty much impossible to eat well in a Baptist church. Somebody say amen. Especially when you go through the line on, and it's a buffet and there's so many good cooks in this church. But she made that pronouncement and then I think it was like a, the next couple of days after that our kids went to a birthday party or they went to some event where they came home loaded down with a bunch of candy. And I walked into the kitchen one evening and I found my dear precious wife in that candy bucket uh, looking. And, I, and, and as I turned to her, I said, what are you doing? And she had a Kit Kat in her hand. <laughs> Love you, babe. <laughs> she was getting ready to pour a big old glass of milk and enjoy that Kit Kat. I said, hey, 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 wait, wait, wait a second. What about this no junk food policy? And here's what she said. She said, well, that starts after we get this candy eaten. <laughs> if 
Friend, that's what I'm trying to tell you about sin in your life. It's like that with a diet. You've got to get the junk out. You've got to bury it. It has to be real cleansing and change. And that's the next step out of a spiritual slump. Not only return, but then look at this. Repent. There can be no revival until there is repentance. And you might as well go ahead and repent today because tomorrow you'll have more sin to repent of and less time to repent in. And so we see here not only Jacob's calling and his cleansing, but then he makes a commitment. He makes a commitment. And notice what it says here, verse 5. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Once again, here's God protecting the patriarch. Protecting Jacob from reprisal. He did it with Esau. He did it with Laban. And now he does it with these tribes who might want to seek revenge on Jacob's family for the massacre at Shechem. And right here what we see is the expedience of obedience. That God's commandments come with God's enablements. If God has asked you to do something and forsake something and return back to Him, I believe that He'll give you what you need to be able to do that. When we're serious about obeying God, hey, He can open up doors of opportunity and He can move hurdles of opposition. Now, Jacob in verse 6 comes full circle. And notice as he comes back to his spiritual birthplace, he recommits and he builds an altar to the Lord. Verse 6, the Bible says, And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, and he and all the people who were with him, and there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because their God had revealed Himself to him when he fled from his brother. Think about all that had transpired in Jacob's life up to this point. Jacob could now, with the benefit of hindsight, look back over his many years of walking with God and see that God was faithful and that God had brought him back to that place. You see, despite all the mess-ups and failures... God is still good to old Jacob. And now Jacob, uh, when he first came to Bethel, all he had was a staff in his hand and the clothes on his back. It was fear that drove him there in the first place. And uh, it was uncertain when he pillowed his head on that stone in chapter 28. And now Jacob can look back and see the faithful hand of God over his whole life. The first time he came to Bethel, God called him. Then when he was working for Laban all those difficult years, God chastened him. And then in that all-night wrestling match in chapter 32 on the banks of the river, God conquered him. And now back at Bethel again, God has crowned him. Notice what he says to him in verse 9. And God appeared to Jacob again. And he came from Padam and Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. Nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I give to Abraham and Isaac I give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. And then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken, a pillar of stone. And he poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. And so Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Oh, friend, despite all the failures, all the mess-ups, 
all the dysfunction in his past, God is still faithful to Jacob again. The Lord is saying to his man, Look, I was faithful in the past to bring you to this place. And now I'm going to be faithful to your future as well. A nation's coming from you. And lands are going to belong to your descendants. And God reminds Jacob that his past faithfulness is not diminished by our weakness. And that God's promises are true, irrespective of how well we do. It's not based on our performance. It's based on His goodness and His faithfulness in our lives. That's the next step out of a spiritual slump. Notice this, recommitment. Just as Jacob took that drink offering in that oil and he poured it out on the altar, so too we have to take all of ourselves when we're going back to God and we have to pour it all out. We have to lay it all out for the Lord. Lord I'm not holding anything back. I'm laying myself in full surrender to you. So you might be thinking this morning, Oh, Derek, you don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the things that I struggle with now. I have blown it. I've not been in God's will. You might be wondering today, listen child, is God done with me? But I want you to know, praise His holy name, that when we come back home and we recommit ourselves to God, that God hasn't disowned us that He hasn't written us out of the inheritance, praise God, that our badness hasn't changed God's goodness in our lives. You can go back home, friend, and when you get there, don't expect to see a God's face full of condemnation. Expect to see a face of restoration. A God who renews and restores. Oh, friend, we need this today, don't we? This has been one year from left field. Been the most challenging year of my life. Like Jacob, I have gone through many ups and downs this year. I can't tell you how many times I've quit on Monday morning, but God won't let me quit. God won't let me throw in the towel. He won't let me go back when the church was shut down for about 12 weeks because of all the COVID craziness. Friend, let me ask you, didn't you find it easy to become aimless? And drift away from God. And your spiritual life was stale and weak and dull. I know you lived through it because I lived through it. And I ain't no super saint. Don't you dare put your pastor on a pedestal. But friend, I want you to know today that God is calling us back. Just as He called Jacob out of that spiritual slump. He's calling us back to church. Hey, listen to me out there in the Facebook world. Come back to the house of God. God is calling His people back. Back to service. Back to worship. Back to prayer. Back to the altar again. He's a second chance God. I don't know what your heart is feeling. I don't know how discouraged you are today. But you come to God and God will meet your need. He'll give you that fresh anointing that only He can. And friend, through it all, oh, God's been faithful this year, has He not? Oh, we've seen souls saved and souls baptized. Uh, this Nobody in our congregation, praise God, that I know of has come down with the virus. Most of us were able to stay working through it all. And friend, I'm here today to tell you that our little church has weathered the storm, praise God. 
Let's be reminded of all that God has done. Let's ask Him to renew us today because, friend, I've got news for you. He's not done here at Liberty Baptist Church. There's still work to do. And He's calling us back to say, Oh, don't give up yet. Uh, Don't run away yet. I've still got anointing for you. I've still got blessing for you. I've still got something for you to do in the kingdom of God. Oh, He's faithful and true. Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. He is the one who walks among the lampstands. He fills them up when they get empty. He knows what every little church needs to keep going. I found Him to be faithful. He's the good shepherd that took me through the valley many, many times. And if He raised Lazarus from the dead, and if He restored Peter and gave him a second chance, friend, I'm telling you, He can do it in your life. And He can do it in your situation. Oh, we need a fresh anointing. We cannot borrow from yesterday. Holy Spirit, come and feed us. Teach us of Jesus, His will, and His way. Friend, it's time to recommit. And it's time to redeploy. It's time to come back and say, Lord, I need you to help me. (laughs) Not only did Jacob get a new start, I want you to notice real quick, he got a new son. A new son. Verse 16, look at this. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when they were still some distance from Ephrathah, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoi, but his father called him Benjamin. Look at this family tree. This completes Jacob's family here. And as part of this new beginning with God, Jacob gets a twelfth son. His name, we learn there, is Benjamin. And up to this point, what you'll see is that Leah brought six sons and one daughter. And her, her handmaiden, Zilpha, brought two sons into the family. Rachel brings two sons, Joseph and Benjamin, now the last one. And then Bilhah, her handmaiden, brought two. This is where the twelve tribes of Israel come from. But this last son, Benjamin, now gives Jacob a chance to make up for the mistakes that he had made in his parenting journey thus far. Up to this part in his life, he had not been a good father. He showed favoritism. He was passive at times when he needed to be the spiritual leader. And Benjamin came into Jacob's life at an opportune time because with this child was the chance to be a better father. I know I may have told you this story before, but my uncle Ricky, who's a great preacher himself, said that when his first son, Justin, my cousin, when he was born, that my uncle wasn't really living for the Lord like he should have been. He was out of God's will for his life. And he said that he was standing there at the hospital looking through the glass at his newborn baby, his son, laying there in the, in the hospital. He said he had a friend who was a believer from church, or from work rather, come and visit him there in the hospital and congratulate him on the birth of his son. This man who came to visit my uncle was 
a real deal believer. And he had the boldness to turn to my uncle and say, how are you going to raise that boy? You're going to raise him to go to heaven or you're going to raise him to go to hell? And my uncle Ricky said that hit him like a ton of bricks. How many young adults have not been living for the Lord and yet that child comes into their life and all of a sudden all the priorities get reordered and they realize, oh my goodness, I'm responsible for the spiritual development of this child. I had better get back to the house of God again. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He got a new son and a new start, but then notice verse 19, a new sorrow. A new sorrow. And so Rachel died. And as she was buried on the way to Ephrathah, that is Bethlehem, and Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb, and it is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Verse 21, And Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. Oh, think about this, friend. Jacob has renewed his faith. It seems as if things are going well for him, but now he comes into the sunset years of his life and there's heartache. The birth of Benjamin brings tears of gladness and tears of grief. There's death and life on the same day. We see here that Rachel's death would mark one of the darkest chapters in Jacob's life because this was the one that captivated his heart. And buddy, you better believe that when they buried her, that a part of his heart went in the grave as well. Now, it is important that the Bible records these slew of funerals that happened in Jacob's life. There was one that we didn't read about in verse 8. And now this one. Jacob has turned the corner. He's recommitted his walk with the Lord. And yet, here comes tragedy. How true to life is that for you and me? Doesn't that describe your spiritual struggle with faith? Just when things are starting to go well, you've got back to church, you've got back to serving the Lord, here comes the tears and the trials in life. And yet, it's the tears and the trials that keep us humble before God and keep us clinging to Him. This loss would drive Jacob to be more dependent upon God than ever before. He walked with a limp in more than one way after this moment. He had just built this altar to God. Picture this. He just said, God, I'm all yours. Built the altar. And then a few days after, he has to watch the thing that he loves the most die. You know why? Because... That's the last step of conquering the spiritual slump. And it's this, resolve. Heartache, trials, death, test, whether our commitment to God was genuine or just emotional and fleeting. And those moments can make us hard-hearted and fall away from God or they can make us humble and fall into God. But don't miss verse 21. Thank God this verse is in the Bible. Notice what it says. Israel journeyed on. Oh, friend, there's so much strength in that verse right there. Even after great loss, life goes on. He said, I'm going on to where God has called me to be. And friend, I'm here today to tell you that God will give you the strength for the next step. Some of you have been there. I know you've been there. You have 
walked away from a fresh grave just putting somebody in the ground that you love with all your heart and walking away, you wipe the tears and you say, God, what now? Because now I have to learn how to live a life with somebody that I can't live without. Oh, but friend, haven't you found, if you've been there before, that my God, that your God is faithful to give you strength to take one more step, to go one more day, to get up and go to the house of God when you don't feel like it, when depression is closing in on you, and you say, God, I can't do this without you. And God meets you because you just keep going on. I don't know anything else to do except just to keep going with God. And friend, your heart may be broken as you walk away from that, but God's grace will give you enough for the next step. And you'll have hope in your heart because guess what, friend? This isn't the end of the story. He wrote the end and it's good for those who love Him. I was listening to Sheila Walsh the other day on the radio. She said something that stuck with me. She talked about being diagnosed with clinical depression. And she said that in the depths of her sorrow, she went to her prayer journal. How many times have you done this? Open your Bible or you've gone to your prayer closet. I don't even know what to read. Lord, I don't even know what to pray. This lady said she'd just been clinically evaluated and said that she was depressed. She opened up her journal, pulled over, opened her pen, and wrote down one word, the only thing that she could think of. Depression. That's a start though, ain't it? You can start with God right there. She said that she opened her Bible and started reading Psalm 31, and she said that the Holy Spirit started speaking to her. And as she looked at that word depression, she realized that with God, she could make it. And Sheila Wall said that she took out the letters and rearranged them. And she said that here's what it came out to be. I pressed on. Why? Because she had faith in God to keep going. And don't miss this. Another evidence of Jacob's resolve. See what happened when Benjamin came into the world? Rachel said, this is Benoi, son of my sorrow. Jacob said, no, 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 no. We can't have that. He overruled and he named him Benjamin. You know what Benjamin means? Son of my right hand. The right hand is the hand of blessing. Do you see what happened here? What could have been a crippling defeat? Jacob said, no, I'm not remembering it this way. This is not a, a son of my sorrow. This is a blessing from God. And that was evidence that Jacob had begun to walk in faith anew with God because faith allows you to see His blessing in a bad situation. And when you're committed to God, He'll give you the grace to wipe away those tears and renewed vision to see His blessing. So we see now number four, a new start. We see a, a new sun and a new sorrow, but then lastly, a new standing and I'm done. Verse 27, the Bible says this, And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned, and now the days of Isaac were 180 years. And Isaac breathed his last, and as he died and was gathered to his people old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. 
What a blessing. This chapter closes with the last funeral in Jacob's life as he has to bury his dad. There's an interesting fact about Isaac. Did you know that he lived longer than any of the patriarchs, 180 years, and yet there's less of his life recorded? And this chapter ends with a grace note, doesn't it? Who was there? Esau. The long estranged brother. They had reconciled, and here they are, able to bury their father in peace. And so with the death of Isaac, now Jacob has a new standing. He's the first in the family of faith. The leader, the heir of the covenant blessing. And the promise of God has now passed from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And it was his responsibility to make sure that his family remembered you can go back to Bethel. No matter where you go in life or, or where you get off track, you can go back to God. He's there. He's faithful. He's true. He's merciful and graceful. And friend, that's our responsibility as well, isn't it? To point my family and your family back to God. So we won't always be here, will we? We won't always have influence and sway like we once did. But what we plant in the lives of our family, they can remember, they can remember the place where it started with God. I want to finish with this. On March 2nd, 2018, our world paused as the greatest evangelist of our time, Billy Graham, was laid to rest after living almost a century. And during his funeral service, if you were blessed enough to watch it, each of his children spoke about the impact of their father. Each one had something unique to say, but I think probably the most memorable was a story told by, they had a daughter named Ruth. Now, don't get confused. He was married to Ruth, right? But they had a daughter pictured right here. And her name was Ruth as well. She told her story, and I want to relate it to you. After going through a messy divorce, Ruth Graham said that she decided to move away and start fresh somewhere else. Soon thereafter, she met a widower and started dating fast and furiously. Her children didn't like the man. And the parents told her that the relationship was moving too fast. But that didn't stop her. Ruth Graham ignored her father's warnings and married the man anyway. She said, so being stubborn, willful, and sinful, I married this man on New Year's Eve, and within 24 hours I knew I had made a mistake. It only lasted a few weeks, and Ruth Graham said she quickly fled her new husband because she feared him. During her two-day drive home, how would you like to have been in that car? Two days driving home, she said her mind swirled with questions, wondering, how will I break the news to Dad? She said, you don't want to embarrass Billy Graham. When she came back to the old home place in Montreat, she said, my daddy, Billy Graham, was out there in the driveway waiting on me. Here's what happened. She said, my father was standing there waiting for me, and as I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me and said, Welcome home. She said, there was no shame, there was no blame, no condemnation, just unconditional love. My father, she said, was not God, but he showed me what God was like that day. And when we come to God with our sin, our brokenness, our failure, our pain, you know what God says? 
welcome home. Welcome home. You can go back home. And as our musicians are coming, maybe you need to do that today. I don't know what's going on in your heart or what you need today, but friend, this is going to be the place where you're going to find it. It's not going to be on Facebook or in the news media. It's going to be in the house of God with the Spirit of God speaking to you. You need to come back today. You need to repent. You need to say, God, I need a fresh anointing today. Please stand and sing with us. And if you need that today, please come. Maybe you need Christ. You come and I'd love to pray with you and for you.